Welcome to the Everything Podcast, the place for everything education. Whether you're a first-year teacher or a seasoned educator, our mission is to help you employ smart strategies in and out of the classroom. We firmly believe that teacher burnout isn't inevitable. Part inspiration and part implementation, we discuss the why and how to make your classroom effective and sustainable. We're your hosts, Danielle and Nicole. Welcome back to another episode of the Everything Podcast. I'm Nicole, and I want to thank you for being back with us for this week's episode featuring Spencer Sharp, where we discuss all things STEM. Before we get there, we'd like to share some personal news. After producing nearly 90 podcast episodes, and not to mention our two virtual summits, I've decided to step away from Everything Education as I focus my energy into my new career in education technology. This was not an easy decision for me, but nevertheless, one I needed to make for myself. I have gotten so much joy from interacting with all of our listeners and our guests over the years, and having the opportunity to work with one of my closest friends has made this experience all the more special. So thank you. Thank you to everyone out there who has been along for this journey, and thank you, Danielle. Realizing our shared vision for Teacher PD has been extremely rewarding, to say the least. This will be my last podcast episode, and the Everything Podcast will be on hiatus for a few weeks, but don't fret, Danielle will be back soon enough. And although this is my last episode, I will say I'm certainly leaving on a high note with our interview with Spencer Sharp. It's a great one. You may know Spencer as Sharp the Builder, and that name is definitely intentional, and we'll talk about why as well. Spencer found himself in a unique situation back in his first year of teaching, to build something from nothing. And yes, Sharp the Builder reflects Spencer's path as he was approached by his school leadership to build a STEM curriculum from scratch with limited supplies and funding, and he certainly did. Spencer sits down with us to talk about his experience as a one-person department, his philosophy on failure, and his mission to make STEM accessible no matter your subject area. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Everything Podcast. We are joined by Spencer Sharp, Sharp the Builder. And we hear there's kind of an interesting story behind your name. We'd love for you to share. Yeah, so um, when I kind of got into this and I was doing STEM stuff, I wanted to come up with like a cool name for my TPT store and everything. And I thought of like all these creative ways to use STEM in the name and my one buddy made a logo for me and I kind of was like man that kind of looks like Bob the Builder's logo and he's like you should be Sharp the Builder like once he like came up with like my color scheme I was like do you think people would take me seriously and he's like oh yeah It'd be, it's catchy so then I was like hey I'll do it it's so, like every time you can tell like there's an age difference between like different people because like there'll be people that will like email me and be like man your name kind of sounds like Bob the Builder Sharp the Builder and I'm like yeah and then there's <laughs> why'd you name yourself that? And I'm like, it's a long story. <laughs> well, it's certainly catchy and it's something that we just had to draw attention to immediately. So thank you for sharing that story, Spencer. <laughs> Not only reveals sometimes what, you know, age level they teach, but the ages of their own children at home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. It's probably because every now and then I'm sure you get high school teachers that ask you that and you're like, but do you have a four-year-old at home? Exactly. 
Well, welcome, Spencer. We're so excited to have you here, and we would love to introduce our audience to who you are, what you do, and all that you know about STEM, because there's a lot to cover today. Yes. So um, I, um, my name is Spencer Sharp. I've been teaching STEM now for over four years, and it was kind of crazy the way I got into it. Um, my now principal reached out to me, and she just said, hey, I saw you took some STEM classes at the time. You couldn't minor in STEM, but I took an extra couple classes because I was really passionate about it. She's like, would you want to start the STEM program at our school? And I was like, absolutely. You know, what would that look like? And she's like, well, there's no funding for it. And there's no supplies other than these three tables that are full. She's like, take what you want to take and throw away what you want to throw away. And I was like, what about curriculum? She's like, you get to write your own. And for most people, that would probably kind of like be something they weren't interested in. But in the time I was already thinking about going back to get my master's, which I now have in curriculum and instructional development. So I was like, yes, absolutely. And everyone kind of told me I was crazy. And like the first year was brutal because like I would have to write the curriculum and I have K through six at my school. So it's treated as a special. So I would have six, fifth, fourth, third, second, first, and K. And I would have one group of them for a whole week. And then I would have another sixth grade group and teach the same lesson for a whole week. So let's pause for a second. You're in your first year of teaching. Yes. And you're writing curriculum, teaching (laughs) six different grade levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're entirely new to the field of education. (laughs) Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And also, this is like a side fact. I live on a pretty big farm. So I help on that on the side too. So like this first year, and it was like the second year I was married. And I, my wife was just like, man, you get up at like five in the morning. Cause I, I'm a morning person. So I get to school like at five 30 people think I'm crazy. Cause I wow. space out at the end of the day and I would get there and I would write like whatever I wanted to do that week. And sometimes it would work really well. And sometimes it would go really poorly, but then the next group, I would just change things slowly. Um, and I began to kind of explore the engineering design process. Mm-hmm. So in STEM, that engineering design process is we have a problem on the first day and we start to ask questions about it you know, what does that problem look like? What do we know about it? What can we learn about it? Um, And then from there, we start to brainstorm, as I call it, or draw a plan. So we begin to kind of draw our blueprints is what I tell the kids. Um, And then from there, we build and then we test our build. And usually if you do a STEM lesson right, kids aren't going to be successful on their first try. Um, And there's kids that really like to be successful. So there's tears sometimes in STEM. And that's never easy because no one likes to see kids cry. I hate seeing people cry in the first place. Someone's like, oh, it's okay. You know, and um, I have a big sign in my room that says fail forward. And I, that's like my motto every year in the beginning of the year. I'm like, we're going to fail when we test, but we fail forward by correcting it. And the second time it goes a lot better. So it's always interesting to see what the kids come up with. And I think for people that are doing STEM, like we kind of talked about earlier, they're not really sure how to go about it. And I think that's kind of why I started doing what I am doing because I knew that first year was brutal and I wanted to help teachers and I wanted to make it easy to use. And I still, when I go around and speak places, there's people that are like, Oh, I just, I just can't do it. And then I'm like, well, what's, you know, and they always give me a standard they teach. Like a while back I was at one and some lady's like, well, I want to teach about energy and I want to make energy fun. I'm like, well, I have my kids build catapults. So I have them display kinetic and potential energy through a catapult and explain why that ball fling further the third time rather than the second. So she was like, yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of times I think just taking those standards apart and saying like, well, what are some real problems you can solve? 
um, and doing that sort of thing. That's kind of what STEM's about. Um, the biggest misconception is STEM is not a do it. You're like a DIY is what I always say, because a lot of times I'll see like teachers be like, well, I'm going to do a STEM project. First, we cut this. Second, we cut this. That's just a project. That's not, that's not STEM. Yes. And I think that's very hard because teachers are taught that. Like I was taught lessons like that in college and you guys probably were too, where it's like, well, when you do a step-by-step project, this is how the end little cute thing looks and it looks all pretty. Mm-hmm. And STEM is not pretty. It's really not. And even in STEAM, if we're adding art into it, which a lot of people do, which is cool, it still doesn't look pretty on its first, on its first take. So I think that's important to note too, just about STEM, because it's never going to look the same for every kid. I mean, even this week, um, one project I'm doing, like I said, was the catapults, but I'm also doing um, a building on Mars challenge with my sixth graders. So they have to design buildings for Mars. And then we do all this fun testing with them and the kids love it. But usually like I try to blow their, like Mars has like extreme wind. So I try to blow their building over with the fan and it always blows over because it's made out of paper and they're always really ticked off. But like the thing is not one building looks like another. And then maybe when they go to redesign, they say, well, you know, Johnny's building was super aerodynamic. So how can I make mine more like that? So I think for me, like I personally was a struggling learner. So having something like STEM for me would have been hands-on and that hands-on approach, I think is just such a difference maker. I mean, even at our school, we've seen kids go from not passing that standardized science test to passing it, which I don't like standardized tests, but the fact that they're asking those questions about on those tests, those application questions that I'm covering makes me feel like STEM is making a difference. So yeah, I'd love to touch on that because I think, you know, we have, we have so much to uncover here. You know, you, right. <laughs> you've touched on so much with the curriculum, the misconceptions, all these things I want to really drill down on. But first up, when it comes to actually defining what STEM is or STEAM, you know, I think there are a lot of, even myself as a high school Spanish teacher, I have my own, my own idea of what STEM means and how it looks in my school versus my middle school versus, you know, all of that. And I'd love for you to just define for us, you mentioned the word application. And I think that that often gets lost in translation. Would you just kind of give us like a a general, you know, description or or definition, if you will, of STEAM, STEM, how you define it in your own words and and what you know about it in a school setting? Right. Yeah. So Um, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, math. It's an acronym that's widely used, but like you said, it loses um, its meaning a lot of times just because, you know, this person's doing this and this person's doing this. I think the biggest thing you see even in STEM, STEAM, and like I even am a PBL trainer for the state of Indiana. So they are pushing PBL, which I would even argue is a form of STEM or STEAM. Um, You're really looking at kids taking a problem and applying knowledge that they learn. So like a lot of times the hard part about, you know, a STEM lesson would be, you know, I did shelters with a grade one time um, and I wanted to talk all about tornadoes and all of a sudden they got fixated on snow and they want to know all about snow. So we started doing all this research. I went home and I had to like scrap my plans and do something completely different because I think that just speaks what kind of STEM is, is it's a lot of times you're going to angle from where you thought you were going to go and you're going to go to a different place, but the kids are still going to learn and they kind of get to dictate their own learning, I think is like a big difference. And being able to apply what they learn to an actual problem just makes them feel like they're involved in their learning and they care so much. Um, I really 
tell people the biggest difference I've seen from being in a regular classroom in college to STEM is like, I don't have any really discipline issues. I mean, some of my best students, I always get told, hey, like this kid in class, he's really bad. You got to watch him. I'm like, not my class. He is building, he's doing things. And those kids are hands-on. Um, and they have what I, what I would call survival skills. Um, those kids, they know that no one's helping them at home. So they try new things all the time. And I think the best learning tool we have is trying things over and over again until it makes sense. So if we could go even a little bit deeper with this mm -hmm. and the exact definition. So even though I might have a science teacher and a math teacher in my right. grade level, does that mean anybody is teaching STEM? Not necessarily. <laughs> and I think that's, like you said, a huge misconception. Um, people just think, you know, science teachers automatically going to teach it. Your technology teachers automatically going to teach it or your math teacher, or if you have an engineering department, um, that's not necessarily that you have a combination of all these subjects in a school setting means that you teach STEM. Right. <laughs> yes. Technology, <laughs> engineering, all in the same hallway. We teach STEM. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's, and that's always the hardest part too, because um, those things all separate are great and they are um, math's great, science, great technology and engineering. They all need to be taught, but it's the way it's being taught. It's the way it's being presented um, with a problem solution and that engineering design process. I mean, there's multiple um, pedagogies as far as STEM and how you can teach it. I just use the engineering design process because it works well for me and my class and I believe in it. I've even modified it compared to what it used to be into kind of what I thought it should be. And a lot of people like the way I guess I do it. And that's another reason why I kind of share like that process because I think what the way I do it kind of suits elementary students and middle school a little bit better, whereas maybe your high school students, you know, they can dive in a little bit deeper as far as research, data analysis, um, and doing the process many, many times. Because like I always tell my kids, even at the end of a project, I'm like, I made you do the engineering design process once. Um, and I'm like, I, I have engineer friends and I'm like, they do this process hundreds of times. And they're like, no way, that would be the worst. I'm like, exactly. So doing it once, isn't that bad? And you learned a lot from the first time. I was like, they learned something each time. So. And that is not exclusive to STEM because when I teach my high school students how to write a research paper, I have to convince them that the research process takes time and doing one Google search does not mean you conducted research. That, that is not exactly. how this works. And, um, I, and that's something that I feel like when you do English, like, like that, when you get into college, you were like, oh my gosh, that teacher's right. Do you ever have kids come back and tell you that? Because like, once you get into college, it's like, this This is real now, this research paper. Yeah, you, you mean I wasn't just supposed to find out some random facts about an author's life, put it together in two pages and I'm done? Huh, go figure. Um, I love the way that you noted on your website too. If you can Google it and find the answer in less than two minutes, it is not a STEM challenge. Yes, every I time I speak anywhere, I say that. And people always look at me like, Really? And I'm like, yeah, because I mean, if you're, if the problem at hand is so easy to find kids, kids aren't born yesterday. They know how to Google things. I mean, that's, everything's at the tip of our fingers nowadays. I'm like, it should be something that they can research and learn a lot about and they can go different avenues and go here and there. And a lot of times I'll give like the kids like three or four websites, like, Hey, dig from these websites. But a lot of times they go home and they Google it and then they come back to me and they're like, Hey, here's what I found out about you know, shelters. And as far as this weather's concerned, you want to do this, this, or this. And I think that's kind of the cool part about it too, is because they're like eager to learn about it. 
But I imagine yeah. you're not a fan of like traditional like science labs as one might recall that they looked like in high school to the point where um, you're telling that story. And I remembered one of the science teachers that um, was a colleague a few years back told me that she was really annoyed when students turned in their lab report and answer 17, 18, and 19 said student, student answers will vary. <laughs> Because they Googled it and turned it in. Yeah. And she's like, you don't even know what that means. See, that's, yeah. See, I'm like, we would not get along, me and that person. Just because I'm complete opposite where I think, you know, for years, at least when I was in school, it was like, we don't use Google. Like, don't use Google. It's bad. Which, there are things out there that's not true. And I think if you teach the kids the right avenues to go for, and like, I do a whole, like, lesson on like just like technology responsibility like in the beginning of the year where i'm like hey you know if it says dot com doesn't necessarily mean it's true like you know here's some reliable you know edu w i mean org that kind of thing and different organizations like that and then they kind of understand that so you know they take it with a grain of salt more i think too but yeah it's kind of funny you said that though about the labs because i did upload this summer a project for my kids when we had remote learning where they created slime and I wanted to make it STEM. So one part of the lesson, I told them exactly how to make the slime, but then I had them go back and create their own. Cause I made mine like kind of watery on purpose. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, if it's a lab, I want them. And I would say, what do you notice about your slime versus mine? And how was our ingredients different? So I think even labs could be more pointed towards STEM. And that was something I kind of made to prove that, but just making that one slide, I was like, oh, this is against what I stand for. But my wife was like, you kind of have to do it that way if they're at home and doing that right. first initial. Uh, and I was like, what happens if I had them compare it? And I thought that was a great idea that worked really well with our students and they all love doing it at home. Their parents hated me, but it didn't matter. Cause like we were remote learning. So I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> well, how do you get parents on board, even in, you know, a traditional setting, because you're explaining to us how this class kind of doesn't really fit the model of most of the other classes that, their mm-hmm. students are taking right so they the parents as well as the students kind of need to be prepared for the kids are probably not going to succeed the first time out and they're going to come home from school yeah. and they're going to tell a story about how I had this disaster in my STEM class and the same kind of thing with they're not really sitting there memorizing facts they're mm-hmm. applying information there might not be a set thing for them to memorize for a test how do you go about kind of almost onboarding parents Yeah. So that was something I didn't realize after my first year. And um, last year I made it and I put it kind of on my website um, recently, but I made like a STEM letter that just kind of explained what STEM is about. I attached another letter that actually talked about materials we use in case they would want to donate. And then I attached a third letter and was like, Hey, if you're interested in coming in or like the business you're working for wants to sponsor us. Cause one thing I've learned is STEM is so expensive. And I think that's, a reason a lot of schools try to turn away from it. And that's one thing that's, it's true, but it's also not true. Cause you can do a lot of lessons with like low prep STEM material. I would say like straws, popsicle sticks. Although, I mean, some of that stuff's fun and it's fun to have, like I have 3d pens that I love using and the kids love using, but like a lot of times I'm like, well, we need to make sure we learn how to build with these things first. And like a lot of those companies will reach out and be like, Hey, we'll, you know, send somebody in, you know, like a, a lot of, people that reach out usually are engineers. So they'll be like, Oh, you know, our company would love to sponsor you guys. We're going to donate like $500 for materials. And then we'll send a couple guys in to hang out with the kids one day. And the kids think that is so cool. 
And then, I mean, engineers are in there telling them like, Hey, you know, we fail. Like it's something I feel like that's relatable to them and it prepares them a little bit better. And I think having those packet of papers sent out early and having that support um, really helps. And I think one thing that um, usually helps too with the younger grades, when I go to test and then redesign, you know, that one day they might've been upset, but then the next day they're going to go home probably usually pretty pumped because they, they more than likely do better. And I always try to remind them of that. Like even today um, we were testing some different catapults and different things. And one boy was pretty upset, but I was like, you know, what did you think you did wrong? And he told me three or four things he could change. And I was like, that's an A plus in my book. That's what I'm looking for. And he's going to change those things. And I think he'll come back tomorrow pretty pleased because I've tested enough. I think he'll do well. So, but I, I just think being upfront with the parents like that though. Yeah. And making sure they're aware with those letters. And I like to try to have as much communication with them as possible. And I feel like that helps supplies, at least for me in my room, like They'll be like, oh, I went to Walmart today and I thought of you and I saw 10, you know, like a, two packets of rubber bands. So I'm like, hey, that helps me out. So <laughs> that is awesome. I can imagine that goes a long way. And yeah. along with parent buy in, I imagine you either have teachers in your school who are interested in, you know, approaching STEM in a new way or trying to mm -hmm. infuse it into what they're doing in their classrooms. And I love the way that you outline kind of the shouldn't do's, <laughs> the things that yeah. you do when it comes to STEM. And I feel like these uh, kinds of rules of thumb are applicable to other subject areas as well. You list mm -hmm. don't do, you, or you shouldn't do boring builds. You shouldn't do one solution. You shouldn't mm -hmm. do poor organization. And I can think about how that relates to my high school Spanish classroom really well. And it's applicable to other subject areas um, mm -hmm. in the same kind of fashion. Do you find that teachers have that same mentality? Do you get pushback? How does it normally go when it comes to, you know, whether teachers come to you to look for more inspiration for their classrooms or are you, do you feel like in a lot of ways you have to educate people? Um, I think for the most part, there's certain teachers that are usually open to the idea and, you know, there's certain ones that just weren't taught that way and it's hard to persuade them. Um, but I've had people in my room before because like our school, um, other teachers have to go to your room and you go to their room. You're supposed to kind of like watch each other throughout the year. So when I have other ones come, they're like, man, this is so much fun. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, they'll apply it to their math, their English, you know, Spanish, whatever it is, they'll want to apply it to there. And I'll kind of help them as far as avenues on how we can do that. How can we make that learning open-ended? And a lot of times I use that word a lot, open-ended or hands-on. And I really do believe you could take any of these STEM principles and you can put it behind anything. And um, when I was getting trained in that PBL as a trainer for Indiana, we had all kinds of different teachers there. I mean, there was every single subject there. So to see um, just a bunch of people that were eager to learn about that and how to do that come together, it was really cool to see the different ideas as far as how like a hands-on learning approach could happen in all the subjects. And even like one of the cool projects I did from that that I got kind of from that PBL seminar um, I call it a stem but at the same time it's PBL um, was I called it shoes for a purpose so my students built shoes out of recyclable material um, and then we actually auctioned them online and we did it with another school from New York and help raise money for kids in Africa who didn't have school supplies um, didn't have clothes didn't have all that good stuff so the cool part was my kids got a FaceTime with the kids from New York and they kind of spoke back and forth about how to make their shoes better. You know, what could they add to them? And we ended up raising like, I think it was close to a thousand dollars 
um, between our two classes. And that guy actually has a podcast too. And I was on his podcast talking about this, like in March or April. So we're doing it again. this year. So I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'm pumped. To, I'm pumped to do it again. So <laughs> definitely shout him out. What was the podcast name? Um, they were called the teacher nerds. The teacher nerds. Great. Yeah. They're really big on, they're, they're really big on, um, Twitter. So they like using Twitter. And I actually like, I've met a lot of friends on there, which my Twitter is not really that big compared to like my Instagram, but I, he posted a picture of like a shoe he, one of his kids made. And I'm like, that'd be really cool if you auction that off to raise money. He's like, you want to do it together? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to list it on my, and all my store, it's free. It's like a week long unit that I listed for free. Cause it's something I'm passionate about. Um, and I think like all the kids, the cool part was they created their shoe with like a real world problem. So then I incorporated like English and their homeroom teachers had them write papers. Like one girl did um, gender equality. One guy did um, clean, clean water. So like it was all these different, you know, things that they're passionate about. Like one girl did um, different diseases like cause her mom had cancer. So she made a shoe about cancer and she wrote a paper about, you know, how that affected her life. So just to see the kids kind of pour their hearts and souls into the shoes, turn around, auction them off and raise money. It was really cool as a school project and the kids really loved it. So it was a fun one. That's that so awesome. <laughs> I, I have no, I have no words, but you mentioned being on a podcast and you too have a podcast. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, it was actually kind of like I was telling you guys earlier I reached out to you guys like one, I was like, Hey, can I get some advice? Which you guys were busy with the summit at the time, but I was like, I'm thinking about starting a podcast and you guys have like an awesome website. That's way better than mine. And I love it. And I love you guys' podcast. So I was like, I'm thinking about doing it. And at the time I was just kind of nervous about it and I didn't really want to do it. And I wasn't sure. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And I reached out to a lady that does STEM stuff with me on like, TPT and I said hey do you want to start like something and we have a Facebook group of like four or five hundred people called the innovative teachers so we're like hey we'll start the innovative teacher podcast and it's just a podcast we come out with every week um, talking about like different innovations in your room so a lot of time we talk about stem but we've also talked about like robots stop motion um, basically anything you could add into your classroom and your lessons and different resources and it's something I've really enjoyed doing, which I didn't think I would. And I've always kind of hated my voice. But like Naomi was like, I thought your voice kind of sounded like an actual radio voice. And there's a couple of people on, on Instagram that said the same thing, which I was like, I don't feel like it does, but I'm glad it doesn't annoy you guys because I like recording it. And I, I, I just think when you record a podcast and even if like five people reach out to you and they're like, hey, I really enjoyed this, it makes it worth it. And you guys probably feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. For the record, your voice is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just think that, you know, you had hesitations about starting a podcast and you just realized how much you had to offer based on your own experience. Because one of the, the kind of like labels that you proudly wear is that you were a department of one at yeah. <laughs> your school. Um, teaching is lonely enough. Being in a department of one, that is even more of a challenge, and you succeeded at it as a first-year <laughs> teacher. So all the kudos to you there. I remember the first time that um, we ran our Total Teacher Summit, we had Allison Weinhold. She's a Spanish teacher who also uh, uses the department of one because that is who she is at her school. So mm -hmm. for 
all of us teachers who are not in a department of one, how could we help the, the, the lonely person <laughs> at our school? Well, that, that's a good question too, because I get that a lot. Um, like technically my team is like the other specials teachers, but obviously they don't teach the same thing as me. Um, one thing that like a teacher did for me that I thought was really cool. She came to me and she was like, Hey, I'm going to teach them the background knowledge for what you're teaching. And like, you know, as far as science goes and math. So she's like, you know, if there's anything you want to do, like as far as what you want to teach in an order, let me know. And I kind of let her know like, Oh, I'd like to teach this then and this. So having her support me kind of in that way and me support her also at the same time was just a nice relationship. Um, she actually retired this last year. So I was like, dang it. But then after I kind of shared what she did with the other grades, they're like, Oh, would you like us to do that? So I just sent them like a simple Google sheet and I'm like, you know, I'm be teaching, teaching physical science through these nine weeks. And then the next I'll be teaching earth science. Um, that way we cover all that. And then I'll have like in the math as far as what I'm going to teach for that also. Um, and the technology. So a lot of, you know, what I do with the teachers isn't like face to face stuff as far as like that, besides them, like, Hey, can you fix, a kid's computer, which I don't mind doing, but that gets overwhelming from time to time. But um, a lot of it is like me sending them things like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking about teaching. If you have any questions, let me know. And a lot of times they'll call me. And I think to just them letting me know, I'm appreciative. They're appreciative that they, we have a STEM program because not every school does. And I know in Indiana, when I first started, we were one of three schools that did it the way we did it in Indiana. So treating it as a special rather than having just a room that teachers can rent out. So that's like one big debate, at least in Indiana as well. Do you want a STEM teacher or do you want a STEM room that teachers have to find their own curriculum and then they just go to the STEM room. So that debate's always really interesting to me just because I see both sides of it. I'm, I could be a STEM coordinator. I like the way we do it, but that's the way I've, I've known it. So well, you were able to really put your touch on it, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you built it from the ground up. And I think the fact that, you know, the group that you lead with the word innovative in it perfectly explains your, your approach to it. And while other teachers certainly have that drive and can make that happen, if there's just a space there, some people will make the most of it and other people... Well, so I, I do yeah. understand the like want of the ownership over yes. it. Like, and like, yeah. That's always the tough part too, because like, I've always like thought about like, well, you know, what's next for me? You know, am I going to try to become like a STEM coordinator for a bigger district? Do I try to do it for the state of Indiana or do I just keep on doing my own thing and be at my school? And that's the harsh part. Cause I like, I really like my job and I like the freedom I have with it. I get to design my own curriculum and try new things out and my school lets me do that. And not a lot of schools will. So like you said, I get to put my touch on it. And, you know, when I feel like I can leave and say, Hey, you know, I gave this program my very best. I think it can do very well now Then I know I can head out. <laughs> and you're on your way to at least diversifying um, yes. the audience that you reach. Um, part of that is through your podcast and you have a Patreon that yes. helps you out with that podcast. Do you want to talk about that or mention that? Yeah. So um, Patreon is basically a website where you pledge to be a member, a tier member um, so much a month. So we have like a $5 tier, a 10 and 20. So a $5 tier gets you a lesson 
an extra episode of our podcast and a video of us explaining that lesson. So it's really nice because like even like I know me, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. If I buy something from Teachers Pay Teachers, I don't want to read it. So having a video of us explaining it is so nice. Um, for $10, you get an additional lesson with a video. And then 20, you actually get a tech video on how to work a new piece of tech. So like this month, we covered WeVideo. They actually sponsored one of our episodes. So we use them as like our tech thing we covered for like our $20 tier people. So it's been one of my favorite things to do. Um, we have, we don't have a lot of people yet, but like, it's one of those things that I'm just thankful that we even have a couple people in there and they're super appreciative. And it's one of those things like you just got to keep on doing and doing, I think, and eventually people are going to be like, this is pretty cool. And I like the space and I like the people that are in it. So, and you know, you are, we've had a number of other podcasters on our show, but you are the second science focused podcaster that we have interviewed recently who mentioned patreon and we had marshall on our show and at the time this goes mm -hmm. live people hopefully will have listened to that episode <laughs> yeah. too. and the direction they took with patreon um differed because his audience is the students his audience oh, is the kids and he said that when they surveyed their audience they had set their patreon up in a way that it was okay, but when they polled their audience, they found out that what their patrons most wanted was birthday shout outs to the kids who were listening to the show. Um, oh, wow. So thank you for sharing <laughs> your model of what works because yeah. your podcast is focused for teachers and just can give mm -hmm. any other podcasters out there an idea of other kind of models. Right, <laughs> so yes. sharing that behind That's the scenes. That's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of that. That's neat. I like that. Yeah. His, also, <laughs> you should definitely check out his show it's awesome. Um, Tumble Science, I think Tumble? Okay. I think your students would really like it too. I think you guys have very similar approaches. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And Spencer, we just want to thank you again for, I think that this was illuminating in a lot of ways for me personally and for our audience um, looking to kind of learn more about how to infuse STEM and their curriculum and maybe even the way that they see that one person department in their school. And I think that you touched on so many really important points today. So thank you for sharing so much, enjoyed our conversation so much. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's why, like I said, I love doing this stuff so I can meet new people and keep on doing things with them. And we keep on supporting each other because it's a teacher world out there is not an easy world right now. So the support from one another is huge. And Amen. in addition to checking out your podcast, there are other opportunities for people to hear from you. I think you're, uh, you're speaking. I am. I am. I actually got the email today, STEMCon 2020. It's the first one they're having online. So I reached out and I actually filled out the survey on my phone and I was like, oh my gosh, I did that like in two minutes. And I just like filled out a little bit about me and put my website. And I was like, there's no way they're going to reach out to me. Like there's so many better people out there. And then they like reached out today. They're like, we'd love to have you come speak. And I was like, yes, I was pumped because that's like my favorite thing I get to do is speak at places. And with COVID, Normally I get to speak at like, I get to travel places too. And I love getting to do that with my wife, even though, you know, if we do do that, we got to leave my daughter behind. That's not very much fun yet, but now it's online. So I can be at the comfort of my home, which is nice too. So. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, I know that you'll do an excellent job there and maybe, maybe there's a, another summit spot open, uh, you know, maybe next summer, <laughs> you know, Something we run, things like that. So that'd be awesome. I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome. I love that. Be 
And <laughs> one last shout out where everyone can connect with you and keep learning from you. Yeah. So I'm actually, it's easy. I'm sharp, the builder, every major platform, Instagram, Twitter. I just, I made it that way all around. The only thing that's different is my email is sharp, the builder 2020 at gmail.com. So that one's a little bit different, but yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. I will most likely email you back quickly because I have my phone, like it has my business account on there. So I'm always trying to connect and get back to you. And a lot of times people reach out to me with questions. And a lot of times I'll just give them like simple little lessons like here, just try this, try this and see how it goes. So I want to get you using STEM in any way I can. If you'd like to learn more about us and the services that we offer, head to everything.com.